Welcome back, pod people, to a brand new episode of Cinema de More. My name is Justin Morgan. I'm here with Chuck and Lexi. And we're halfway through our Catherine Bigelow theme, and we were talking about her eighth movie, The Hurt Locker. So we skipped quite a few. And I've watched them all. I've watched everything. <laughs> and they're really hard to find. I don't know why. None of her movies are streaming. Well, Hurt Locker is. Hurt Locker but, was on Netflix. Yeah. I had a hard time watching Strange Days was hard to find. The Weight yeah. of Water was hard to find. And K-19, The Widowmaker was hard to find. Oh, she did K-19? The one with fucking Harrison Ford. Harrison Fork. Ford and Liam That's Mason. one of my favorite movies, but not because it's a good movie. <laughs> oh, it really isn't a good movie at all. Everyone has terrible Russian accents. Yeah. Nobody looks like they would be Russian. Also, after watching something like Chernobyl, the entire thing with the nuclear reactor doesn't make any sense in that movie. In that movie, it's a nuclear submarine movie. And there's a part where because they're testing when they shouldn't be because they're trying to push boundaries and get praise from their government, they basically end up puncturing something in a nuclear reactor. And the only way for them to fix it is to go in person by person and weld this shit so they put on their suits and they go in but they're only chem suits they're not radiation suits they don't spray them with anything when they get out everybody touches them as they are coming out vomiting there has to be so much radiation on them harrison ford we're supposed to believe that he's the first person that touches everybody he even goes in there at one point but then at the end of the movie they flash forward to him being old in the late 80s it doesn't make any sense how he (laughs) there's a huge amount of the crew that's there at the end with him too i mean i guess it'd be more realistic if they were in heaven or something like that like it was like (laughs) the afterlife and they were scanning these people and saying oh the radiation's not too bad (laughs) the guy's got boils on his face and he's vomiting everywhere he's going to die (laughs) that's a real story that's a really really interesting story i wish they had called that movie k19 the lotta of the sea well it's called the widow maker because before it even went out in the sea there were already 10 people that died and then when they were out in sea i think 20 more people died (laughs) i don't know if that's that great of a story i mean it's it's... just a lot of people dying from being stupid well they went out into the middle of the ocean and tested an untested submarine and then the americans were there and the americans were like do you need help and they're like no we're fine are you sure and the captain don't fucking say anything like we're not saying shit because they're Russian. You know how that shit is. They made their people try to fix the reactor and put it back together rather than like accepting help from Americans because they didn't want to let the Americans know they were testing a nuclear submarine. They didn't want them to know what their upper hand if it did actually work. It's like you're so fucked in that situation. Like Russia's absurd when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. And Harrison Ford's accent, one of the worst, <laughs> one of the worst Russian accents. It's one of my favorite Harrison Ford movies while also being like one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I just really liked it, but man, it's not a good movie. I never recommend it to anyone. The Weight of Water was weird, too. It was these people, rich yuppies or something, they were investigating a 200-year-old murder, and they go to this island called Smutty Nose Island. Where the murder happened. The whole idea was this one guy was tried for murder and found guilty of murder. But these people thought, no, it was probably that surviving woman. And the whole thing was, a woman can't kill these people. So it ended up being the woman killing people. (laughs) Elizabeth Hurley was in it. If you like Elizabeth Hurley, 
you'll probably love the movie. You see a lot of Elizabeth Hurley. Yeah, that one felt weird and disconnected too. But the one I liked the most that I hadn't seen before was Strange Days. I thought Strange Days was pretty stellar. I liked that Ray Fine ate that movie up and then he ends up in The Hurt Locker for a little bit too, which I felt was one of the better cameos in this entire movie. Like I thought he was... <laughs> I thought he was wonderful in it. And you could tell it's him, too, when you can just see his eyes. There's no way that that guy's an Iraqi soldier. That's clearly, <laughs> that is clearly like British or American guy. Like you could just tell from looking at the eyes. But anyways, I guess rolling into Catherine Bigelow, I feel like there is a huge jump between K-19, which was 2002, and The Hurt Locker, 2008, six years later. She makes this movie that basically dissects the idea of war as a drug, people that are addicted to war and violence and i think this is maybe the first time that i've watched jeremy renner in anything this is my first introduction to the guy so i don't know where she found him i'd seen him play some like white trash people in other movies before this one but i think this was his first big starring role it also i found the whole entire bomb defusing bombs thing interesting it was a different aspect to the war movie that i don't normally see it's an interesting subject when it's done properly like this film did it right whereas it's no like stupid clocks and like mystery things like all the bomb stuff was legit yeah and i think that the guy that wrote the screenplay he was a journalist he was definitely over in Iraq, and he was seeing a bunch of these types of things when he wrote it. So I'm sure almost, even though it's a fictitious story, I'm sure everything's based off of things that he's actually seen. It seems like it's an actual situation where how the bomb guy at any given time, well, it's Jeremy Renner 90% of the movie, but trying to figure out what type of bomb that he's dealing with and how he has to defuse it. I love the conversations when people... He's not too vocal on things, but sometimes you'll have somebody like Anthony Mackie gives advice. Hey, maybe it's under the car if you're not finding it. And he says, no, I can follow the wires. It's definitely something that's coming inside the car. It's in here. I like this adrenaline rush that he gets. And it kind of feels like he, I don't know. I don't want to say like he's unhappy with life, but that thrill of putting his life on the line is an adrenaline rush that he can't get anywhere else. As the movie goes on and we get to know this character, character better i mean i guess i don't really know how much we dive into it it breaks apart his personal life very little but he's not concerned about any of that think that it is also a great lesson in tension so character is a little bit light but it feels real that idea of tension i think Catherine bigelow does a really good job in this movie probably better than in any of her other movies but you do see it building throughout you even get it in point break you do have that idea of anything can go wrong at any moment I love the shots, too, in this. They're not very clean. They're usually pretty gritty, but they've done some shots where it's too far away and too hard to see what's out in the distance. So there's a lot of those great shots where it's from the perspective of the soldier. They're trying to look with their naked eye miles away, and you kind of, as an audience member, are squinting and watching and <laughs> saying, is that is that somebody out there? Am I supposed to be? Does he see something, or is he seeing nothing and thinking it's something? I like that type of stuff too. But I guess overall, getting into it, is this everybody's 
everyone's watched this movie before, right? Yeah. I saw it when it came out back in 08 because it was an Academy Award film. And at that time, I was paying more attention to that stuff than somewhere in the 2010s. I fell off on that and just stopped caring and paying attention. I'll always remember that this was when we were working at Hollywood Video and we only got the one copy and everybody... Every single person. You like that Hurt Locker? No. Oh, I hear it's like a really popular movie. It's nominated for the Academy Award. Yeah, well, we got one copy and somebody already has it. Before that, too, when everyone was asking about it, we knew the release date. Oh, yeah, it comes out in two weeks. Comes out in... Yeah. one week then one copy shows up and this is not good because by that time it had already won the academy award for best picture yeah this movie it came out it was at a festival like venice festival in 2008 and then it actually premiered in the united states in 2009 so it was up for the academy awards with all the movies that were released in 2009 and that's why it went head to head with avatar james cameron ex-husband of Catherine bigelow and she clearly kicked his ass Rightfully so. I remember this time in history, and I remember the country at that time, and like the tension because this was like still Iraqi war, like nine eleven. People were still kind of like, I know it was like eight, eight, seven, eight years after, but that still was like America hadn't let that go yet, and they were still real fresh with that, and everybody had like pride flags on their sticker for the country and everything like that, and I. I remember there was just a slew of movies like this and i think like that this at the time for me slid through the cracks because i just couldn't do it anymore like i was just so sick of it you know what i mean like i was tired of hearing about it i was tired of the country like the patriotism like hearing about support the troops and all that kind of stuff and it was like i just kind of i couldn't bring myself to care about like a support your veterans your veterans do some pretty fucked up shit. So, like, when I watched it, I just didn't care, essentially, is what I'm getting at. Because, like, it came out, and it was just another one of these things, and I just didn't care at that time. But Time called it a near-perfect movie. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, as 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 time goes on, um, and going back and rewatching it again, I think this might be one of the best modern war films. And I don't mean, like, from the time period, but I mean films focused on... The modern wars, the Iraqi war and, you know, the conflicts there and stuff like that. Those films always tend to have this weird quality about them where there's less focus on the war side of it. And there's more focus on like people over there just not being in a place they should be and that kind of stuff. And I think she does a better job of portraying like you guys clearly don't belong here. Like this whole film, everybody's just like they're very clearly not welcome there. They're clearly not wanted there. And even though they're doing bomb, just like diffusing, like they really don't want them around at all. It's just like, there's just a constant tension throughout this entire film. As soon as they leave the base, it's interesting in that regard. She does a good job of capturing like the, the xenophobia. I have the same feeling where, yeah, a lot of these films, and I think it's like war films in general, you end up getting that. I think the closer, it feels like the closer they're made to the time of the war going on, it's like the more they feel like propaganda. Like if you go back and yeah, watch like the, if you watch like during World War Two, like they were making war films while World War Two is going on. And if you go back to like rewatch those ones today, those are the ones that are like the most heavy handed, like 
like oh we just got to kill all these people like they they want to murder you tomorrow like a they, pearl they, harbor yeah you know? they're just like a little bit too much but then it's like the further you get away from it the more it kind of kind of changes and yeah i would agree that this one i think in general focuses just more on more on the the lives of the soldiers in general it doesn't go so over the top like uh, i feel like another one that something like american sniper and I, I'd say I Eastwood enjoyed that in movie. general. Wow, yeah, Clint Eastwood in general is a little, he's a little, he's a little Republican. <laughs> like flags <laughs> to, of to, our fathers, to, the yeah, to put it mildly. But even, but even like those movies don't feel necessarily as much. But like, because at least the characters in those movies, I don't know, you know less about them. But it's like getting with something like American Sniper, and then hearing like the actual stories of that guy later on. It's like, oh yeah, he what was a piece of shit. Yeah, he he was just kind of straight up racist. Like, he he's was just a fucking piece of yeah, garbage. He, he was just not. He's no fucking hero, yeah, not at all. Yeah, he he was not. So it's like that's that's tainted that movie. Even though there's there's some parts of the movie that it's like it's still a competently well made movie, but it's just like I can't focus on watching that movie when I'm like, eh, that guy wasn't a good guy. Like he he was very much not. I a, mean, they didn't make him a terrible guy in the movie. No, that's the point. He is a terrible guy. Yeah, that's that's, I mean, that's where I was the film, looking at. The film <laughs> glorifies I, I, him. I get the point. I'm just saying that you could watch it without knowing anything about the real life guy and be like, ah, he seems okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, the guy from 127 Hours in real life is a piece of shit, but I'm still interested in his story. But, like, Kyle Rittenhouse was a person who got off on killing people. Or is, that's not... I guess Rittenhouse was an actual killer. That's not this guy's name. Chris Kyle. Chris Kyle. Yeah, Kyle I up his Rittenhouse name. was the kid. Yeah, that I put went, the, the kid that went to the school. People. Do you, do you what? know what was really what fucked up? Listen, about the school. You're like confusing your killers. No, no, no. The, the other day, I was um, delivering flowers to a Kyle car. Uh, no, there was a house next door to it, and on the back of their Mustang, they had c- celebrate Kyle Rittenhouse month painted across the whole back of their window of their car and i was like what the what the fuck is wrong with you what is wrong with people they're just happy that this kid went to go murder people he's living away with it yeah he's he's living the american dream he got to go somewhere with a gun and shoot people and then totally got exonerated like that's the movie i'd want to make the Kyle Rittenhouse movie. I mean, I don't know oh who would want to see it, but I would definitely. Oh, you. I mean, you'd have an audience for it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, you say you don't know who would go to see it. I think you know exactly who would go and see it. Yeah, I know exactly who, and you'd make money. Now, here's what it would end up being. Uh, if anybody liberal watched it, they'd be like, "Oh, that, I actually really liked the story that he was telling," <laughs> and then the you know the really far right people would think it's complimentary when it wasn't. That's yeah. what it would end up being. It'd be like, did you, you know, if you watch uh, The Boys is a prime example. I watched all of The Boys. The discourse on it is the liberals go, like, yeah, it pretty much nails the satire perfectly. And then the conservatives are like, exactly. (laughs) It's like, no, you're missing the point. You're missing the point of what's going on. You're missing the point of Homelander and everything. I think that's the type of that would be the that would be the written house movie, <laughs> but it would definitely be like yeah I went there to go kill somebody. I think what's interesting with Hurt Locker is that even though we're sitting here and we're discussing it like from the perspective of a war film and all that kind of stuff, and it is a modern war film, and you can't take that context out of it, but it's definitely an action film before it's a war film, if that makes sense, like. 
the story is not based on anything. As I asked, I was like, I don't know if it's based on anything or not. You said no. It really plays like an action movie and it plays like um, like a reporter's following them around with a camera and just kind of filming this maverick bomb diffuser kind of guy. So like it doesn't necessarily have to have been set in the Iraqi war. You could have kind of done this movie anywhere and had a movie about like this just renegade bomb disposal guy who, I mean, th- that adds a layer. And I think definitely having it have that layer and come out in the time period that you did, you're basically checking all the American celebration boxes left, right and center. Like you knew that you laid the groundwork to get yourself like looked at by the Academy unquestionably, but just by executing this film and setting it where you did. But I don't necessarily think it's like a solid war film. I think it is, but I also didn't have this thought until Chuck brought it up. There's two types of war films, as far as I can tell. And it's the cost of war, which is what this would be, which really focuses on the problems that war, you know, how war affects us negatively. And then you have the propaganda war film where it's like, oh, we do it for our country and we're we're such great people and, you know, we're the greatest country on earth because of, of what we do. And it, it ignores the bad. So those are the two types of films that you have. Which, yeah, Jeremy Renner, like, never even gets into that in this movie at all. Like, no one ever asks him, like, oh, you you doing this for your country? or And he never, like, mentions that as, like, is like, oh, you know, I come over here so I can protect everyone at home. Like he never, yeah, he never gets into that at all. It really is. I feel like this is, uh, uh his character makes me think if, uh, Patrick Swayze was in the Iraq war, like his character Bodie from, from point break was here. Like, it's just a different form of being an adrenaline junkie, you know, in that version, mm-hmm. they get off on the, the bank robbing. Like that's their big thing. Like that's the thrill that they, that they get from it, you know, skydiving and surfing and bank robbing, but they don't do it because they like, they're bad people necessarily. They just do it because it's like, Oh, well, why not? Why not right. try to rob a bank? Why not do it just for like kind of that thrill or something like that? It's what keeps us going. And like his character, Jeremy Renner in this, that that is more or less his motivation is just, it's just something to do. Like it's, it gives me that gives me that rush where he says he like defused 873 bombs and never had one go off on him, and he's, he's always... And he's not like a xenophobe. He definitely, it's, he's not in war because he wants to kill people. Yeah. He really no. gets off on the idea of, I'm putting my life on the line, yeah. and he likes the gamble. Am I going to be able to to pull it off? He doesn't he always pull it cares. off, but... He shows he cares at the very end when they're like, just let the guy blow up. And he's like, no, I ain't going to fucking do that. And he <laughs> then he's like, I'm sorry, to... there's, there's too many locks on you and I can't get and them. He just felt so bad. Like you could see like it was like he I think that was like the first time he really felt like he failed and it like really came across. I think when we were talking before about trying to figure out where or what Catherine's like strengths are as a filmmaker, um, She's really good with like single camera POV stuff, which you've talked about. She did some really excellent stuff in Point Break and we had to quickly watch Detroit and she does some excellent POV kind of I don't know work in that. As I didn't well. watch Detroit <laughs> yet. We'll get on it. Uh, I yeah. have to watch Zero Dark Thirty and then Detroit and then I will be which good. 
I know I know for a fact Zero Dark Thirty is going to use a bunch of those yeah. kind of like POV shots and stuff like that. They do from the she perspective re- of the night vision when they're yeah. going in after Bin Laden. I think her strength is her ability to shoot action sequences well and to do these action sequences with the, like a single camera. Like I'm obviously there's multiple cameras, but the illusion that she creates is all like it's from the perspective of like a dude there with a camera who's stuck in the middle of the action, which makes the viewer feel like they're also stuck there in the middle of the action. You yeah, feel she, the tension and the really stress a lot good, better. Uh, steady cam that makes you feel like you're in the action. Right. For most of her movies, I'm noticing that. And I definitely am feeling that she is an incredible action director. She really this is her best so far with the action, you know, up to this point. Yeah. Because just the way that she dissects it and she she brings up I mean, this is more like attention. God, going just the way that she she composes the shot. She loves her close-ups. I think that it, that is kind of what makes these the human emotions like seep into the action without sounding like you know, some film jargon, just like some bullshit. So many close-ups. Like a lot of times she doesn't even right. establish shots. It just starts on someone's face like extremely close. And so uh, like in this movie compare Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I, you I was ahead. just going to say like some of the the best parts of this movie. Like I really liked when Anthony Mackie and Jeremy Renner were trying to snipe these guys that had just like That was my them. favorite part. That and was a good you part. You have the fly on his face and he won't he won't let it bother. He won't take his eye off the building. He's there for Mackie. He's he's his he's his right hand man. He's gonna help him. He helps him get bullets. He helps him get a shot right. He gives him a Capri Sun. <laughs> yeah, like the love is there. When you look at this film, and I know I don't know if you guys have seen it or not, but when you make a comparison to something like Black Hawk Down, which both these movies came out around the same time, like about four years difference, give or take, but like they're still pretty close together and they're still from that same exact same war, exact same like kind of thing. I think like she has a much better comprehension of how to shoot the tightness of that city. I mean, that was Ridley Scott. Was it Ridley Scott or was it his brother who did that one? It was. And if you want to, like, I'll say it. Black Hawk Down is not one of my favorite movies. I feel like it's a little too melodramatic. And this doesn't, the Hurt Locker doesn't feel melodramatic to me. And remember, these are the same war. Pretty much all this, like, Black Hawk Down is going on at, like, the same time as, like, the shit that Jeremy Renner is going on with, like, in that whole time frame. So, like, it's, it's a comparable war film to like look at each other. And I just think like people want to look at Black Hawk as like the, the memorable one. But I think this one's definitely a much stronger standout film, but it also does a better job of looking at the individuals. Like this movie focuses on four people. I was going to say, I think the main character of this movie isn't Jeremy Renner. I think the main character was the kid in the unit. So they don't take place at the same time. Just so you know, Black Hawk Down uh, takes place in 1993, and this takes place in 2004. Oh, is it the George Bush Senior War? I thought it was. No, this, I think it's com- it's com- it's okay. completely different. I think it's in Africa. 
Yeah, and it's uh, Is it's it? it's okay. actually yeah. it's still Clint Clinton would be president at this point. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. I'm like bad with my war. God damn but I still it. think I still think they're reasonable films to make comparisons to because film wise they came out in the theaters around the same time, like in the two thousands. Yeah, so I know Blackhawks a two thousand. I'll give that film. to you. Like it is definitely the early two thousands. Well, I guess it would. Yeah, early two thousands yeah. war films, and it still takes place in Iraq. So you still have those tight buildings, those tight city like war zone spots because. They're caught in that real small space, so the whole film is shot in these tight, tight shots, which this film also shoots everything in these really tight shots too. It's I, I like Black Hawk Down a lot. I do think I'd say the Hurt Locker. Hurt Locker does better just because it has a more tighter focus, and you like you kind of like care more about these characters because it's so like Black Hawk Down. Like kind of the thing I love about it, but also like its detriment is it has so many characters like there are so many actors in that film like and almost so many of them this is like their that was like their first big thing like every time i watch it i'm like oh yeah i forget like tom hardy's in it ewan (laughs) bremer's in it nikolai coster walter's in it like yeah it has all these act like it's but josh arnett yeah yeah josh hartnett's in it yeah everybody orlando bloom like tom sizemore that movie is so jam-packed with actors. Tom Sizemore, he was the villain in Strange Days. Yeah, exactly. So he pops up in that. Yeah. But it's like uh, he was ev- really good everyone's in that. in that film. So it's like, it, it's one of those that, I, it's, I guess the thing is, it's, uh, it's, what the, it's what the director wants to focus on more in that she's going for like the micro of these three guys, basically. Whereas Ridley Scott's like just going... Hey, there's like a hundred people, and you know this is what happened to all of them. And I know Black Hawk Down's more focused on how that was a massive failure, just entirely from top to bottom, from like. And this is how the, the intelligence is a massive yeah. failure. As a, yeah, a, it's it's more adult. focused on yeah, it's more focused on his, his failures as a, as a as a father, I guess, you <laughs> a know? human being. Yeah, yeah. yeah, as a human being. Whereas the the it's, so it's like it's just like your your difference of scale. So I guess it's like, and I, I feel like you get that a lot in different war movies that the smaller the scale it is the more the more you can get invested in it like even something we brought up like other clint eastwood movies like flags of our fathers pretty good i like it because it only focuses on like three specific soldiers that were in iwo jima like it doesn't it doesn't just look at the entire uh, battle of iwo jima it focuses on those three characters so it's like it gets really into their yeah. story but then you go to other war films again like black hawk down where it's just <laughs> the it's thin red of, line yeah or the thin red line which has that's another film that just 100 has, like, so that was not a good movie that, thin red why line do they is do a, that it's a great movie but it is it is one of the weirdest war movies of all time that yeah. like people got why? cut from it <laughs> they thought they had bigger parts or they're... why does hollywood do this like why is it when they cast war films they go and they get like a bunch of like known actors instead of filling so many of the roles with like unknowns i'm gonna say that well i don't know they've always had their we're gonna cast john wayne or some shit like that maybe it's from saving private ryan on where there were so many breakout roles in that movie obviously everybody yeah, knew were. tom hanks at the time yeah. but i mean Black Hawk Down Diesel. would be a direct result of Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, like so there's, many, there's so many people that like, yeah, that's the first thing you've seen them in in that film. Or, or yeah. Band of Brothers is like a great example of yeah. kind of feeding off of that. And I think that that storytelling works very well. Let's follow a group of guys, and we're gonna follow them through their entire 
you know, mission that they're on. The best to war stories <laughs> are the stories that focus on like a small platoon instead of a large unit. Like you want at least like three to five guys on your unit and then you have a much stronger ability to connect to each one of the characters in it. For at least the movie. If you start filling them. Yeah. I I think like when you're talking about Iraqi war content, um, I think the worst film is Jarhead. Jarhead was like so disappointing. I really hated that movie. But if you ever get a chance to see the series Generation Kill on HBO, that was excellent that was incredibly well done and one of the people in that was actually playing themselves they weren't an actor is great there's a great moment in generation kill where they get um trapped on a bridge and they're getting ambushed they're getting shot at and Skarsgård's like back up back the fuck up and like as they're firing he like opens the top of his Humvee and like gets out and he's like will you back the fuck up like all these bullets are like flying past him it's one of my favorite it's just so funny <laughs> it's just like a disregard <laughs> to the fact that all this is going on yeah. uh, and that is the point of view of a journalist like there's a journalist that's like following him around the whole time but yeah that is a that is it's, good is it hard. David Simon I think it's one of his I think, things I think so it's that's another I think it's hard to do certain like uh, and I think it only got like more recently. It felt like at the beginning, uh, with like the Iraq War, like anything that came out like immediately after nine eleven, was uh, like more people looked at that as like kind of that like propaganda. Like yeah, 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 we definitely should be doing this. And then it was still like later on when it like kept continuing and like more stuff kept being like actually I think they might have lied to us. Like I don't think some of that stuff they said was true when they told us like the weapons of mass destruction and stuff so then you started getting like this is getting closer and closer towards like the middle to the end of that where people started looking at it differently so it's like and i feel like more of those movies have started to get to the point especially the more recent ones like they're they're getting more and more like vietnam movies where like pretty much every movie about vietnam's like yeah man that that war was like bad like we definitely shouldn't have been doing that like yeah and it only felt like more recently that you started getting more and more like movies focused on uh, or shows like i think Middle homeland East. that first season yeah. of homeland is so good yeah it kind of falls Jar- apart after like season three yeah. but jarhead tried to point out how we went over there and like did nothing like we just kind of <laughs> yeah, went yeah. over there yeah. and hung out and i was like i get that and i understand that but like i don't know maybe there was a more interesting way to execute it or whatever because like the thing with me is um I love seeing films about shit that happened in my time. Like I like seeing stuff about when I wasn't around, but like when I lived through something and then somebody's like, I'm making a movie about something that you lived through. Like, I'm like, all right, I want to see this. I want to see how you execute it and how you portray that moment. And if there's something that you can teach me that I didn't realize was going on at that time or what have you, because like I was there and I remember it. So well, I remember like the welcome to the suck and it was just about how awful it was to maybe it was like a good movie to be like, maybe you shouldn't be recruited in the military because this is what you could be doing. I did have to I look it up because I knew that there were a lot of direct to video sequels. There are four Jarhead movies. There's Jarhead, really? Jarhead 2, Field of Fire, Jarhead 3, The Siege, and Jarhead, Retur- Law of Return. 
I remember Why seeing those. Why are there so many of those? <laughs> There's because, a lot of jarhead movies. Well, and I, I remember seeing those when I worked at Walmart. And it was one of those where I don't know why they picked that film to try to like capitalize on like name recognition because the rest of those movies are 100% just like straight up exactly what you would think like direct to DVD war movies where like they have like WWE wrestlers in them like and they're just straight up just action war movies where it's like it's like that wasn't even what they were doing in the first movie like so so who's the audience no. you're trying to get like because if anyone did like that movie it's not the audience you're trying yeah, to get. Yeah, I mean, the first like, movie is more about, like, Jake Gyllenhaal's mental health. Yeah, and it's like, so, but it is weird, because I can remember seeing those, like, because they'd be side-by-side side with, like, the Marine franchise, like, that John Cena movie, and they kept making, like, a million sequels to that, and it, they'd be side-by-side side on the shelf, and I'd be like, those look like the same movie, but I'm like, that's not what Jarhead was about. Like, what is, why did they make that, like, why are they trying to turn that into a franchise? So, the Academy Awards, I'll talk about for a second here. <laughs> we lost Lexi temporarily, but I'm going to go with it. It was nominated for nine Academy Awards, and it ended up winning six Academy Awards, which were Best Picture, Directing, Screenplay, Editing, and Sound, Sound Mixing and Sound Editing. Jeremy Renner did not win. He was nominated. It didn't win Cinematography. and Who won Best Actor school. that year? Uh, yo, yo, let me see if it compares them. It should somewhere on there. Well, yeah, not what, straight what, off the IMDb page. No. It is not. Well, go to Wikipedia, man. Come on. That, yeah, I want to know. It's probably the Jake Sully from Avatar. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, yeah, I hope that's. May, as well, may as well have voted for a fucking block of wood. Uh, well, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I in the right year? I mean, I will see. say, I. This might be the best thing Jeremy Renner's in because it. I can't it really is think of the best much. thing Jeremy Renner's in. And I wouldn't even say he's period. Like, I wouldn't even say he's like the best part of this movie. He's pretty. He's good though. I I do like him, but I I even agree that I think like Anthony Mackie and the other kid that are with him in the group are like kind of more. They're more interesting because they feel like they actually are characters, whereas Jeremy Renner he lost feel to like Jeff Bridges' crazy heart. Oh, okay. Yeah. That okay. I was trying to remember what Jeff. else came out that year. Jeremy Renner feels like someone who they uh, tried out to be on Supernatural, but like they just didn't get picked. Uh, and like, you know, it's funny watching Hurt Locker too. There's easily like four people that are huge MCU characters. Yeah. Obviously, Anthony Mackie, who's the Falcon yeah. and the new Captain America. Jeremy Guy Renner is still Hawkeye. Guy Pierce is a villain. Evangeline Lilly, she's in it. She's a wasp. Wasp, yeah. Uh, I don't think Ray Fine is is in it, but I'm, I'm really surprised he's is he? He's never made it in the MCU yet. Is is Evangeline Lily Kate from Lost? Yes, absolutely. Okay, because I'm like, all I don't I don't know her as anything other than Kate from Lost. So like, I'm watching this movie and I was like, oh look, it's Kate. <laughs> just was like, <laughs> it feels like a very I, Lost scene. Just seeing her like at the supermarket. That does feel like a flashback. Like, and it would go back to the island. It would be like, it'd be like just randomly, like she'd wake up on the beach and be like, ah, I was remembering about my husband. He was a bomb technician. <laughs> yeah, that totally could be a flashback for that character. For all we knew, yeah, she was she was uh like an escaped prisoner. So maybe it was a con that she was doing at the time. Yeah, yeah, you that was in her. You... That was in the prime of uh of Lost too, because yeah. yeah, Lost still had one more year after this movie came out. 
this is an interesting time when you talk about films that come out in like the mid 2000s because Lost was the big hotness. And so the Lost people kept getting cast in films. But like, can you think of anybody really from that show that like has sustained and had a career after Lost? Like, uh, I wouldn't say like um, on film. No, but yeah. television, a TV lot of them had, yeah, are, like are, Locke and Ben Linus. Those uh, they've both continued on in TV shows. Uh, Hawaii Five O took Jin and you know. I know that early... Saeed was a Bollywood actor before, so I'm I'm positive he has a yeah. career. But back I, home. I mean, yeah, probably Evangeline Lilly's like the one that's had the most success, and I wouldn't. She's not even been in like that much compared to. She's just been in a few. She's been in. Uh, oh, I really she was in the Hobbit. Of... That oh yeah, she that chick was. that yeah. that chick that played Boone's sister. She quit the show yeah. to do the the Fog remake, and like, Not a good boy, choice, was that man. a terrible fucking idea? <laughs> I could have told you that before even it was offered to you. I'm like, you may have had a lead role, but you don't want to be in a remake of a John Carpenter movie. That's I mean, really some beloved. Of that, that cast was like really really good. I. Like Terry O'Quinn, I think he would be a perfect person to cast in, you know, a low budget movie. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was great as a stepfather. So as well, he'd probably sign role. up for it. He doesn't really seem like he says no to anything. Like, like he signed up for he signs up for so many shows. Just and he he comes in as just like the same type of like mysterious you know figure that's like running some shady corporation or something like in everything yeah I see like alias and stuff he's, and he's always the, the, the heroin addict guy was in lord of the rings yeah. as one of the hobbits so i mean he even if he doesn't do anything else at least he has like that yeah. and lost under his belt i'm so. sure there's a lot of actors in there that you know they're not that old they'll they'll probably end up in other thing that the guy that played arts is in all kind of things like yeah. he's in rob zombies he's always movies, popping so. up and stuff and uh the guy that was um what are their two names the two that they added in season two the two nikki new characters yeah nikki and paolo the guy that plays season that, three by the yeah, way okay yeah whichever one it was but those two pop up in a bunch of random things all the time Obviously, Michelle Rodriguez has a yeah. long-standing career, but uh, I can't had more for the before. life of me understand how. Also, I saw the person that played Hurley's girlfriend. Um, she's in a, like a soap opera, so she's working every day of her life in the soap opera. How does Michelle Rodriguez still have a career? Like she is literally Vin one Diesel. of the worst female actresses. Vin I've Diesel ever makes seen. sure she only... still has a career. I, I don't Man. know if you heard, but uh, Chuck's answer of Vin Diesel—that's that's the <laughs> it's, answer. It's all about family. I, I can accept. <laughs> I mean, she was killed off in those movies, and then they brought her back from the dead. They did that also for her exact character in the Resident Evil movies. Yeah, they oh, killed her God. off, and then they brought her back as a clone. Yeah, yeah. Was that also, her? Or was that just Mila Jovovich? Because Mila Jovovich, no, is the main no. Like, character towards the movies. end, they were bringing back dead. Yeah, characters. they were bringing back like a lot of random characters. Those last because she movies. was literally just like bodyguard one that got killed in the hallway at the start of the movie like she didn't really have much of a sustaining she was in the movie in longer film. than that she get down down to the basement and then get killed down there instead i, don't I mean they killed how she they killed an, she last 90 percent of the people longer. die by laser in that movie so i mean i love watching a film about zombies <laughs> killing people and having like most of the people be killed by a laser at the start but you know uh, if you're gonna kill don't get me started by on a laser movie. you got a great movie 
We're, we're here to talk about Hurt Locker. I can't do Resident Evil. I can't do that today. You're the one that it's brought it awful. there by bringing up Michelle I d- Rodriguez. I, she's just terrible, and she's in a lot of really like bad franchise films too. Anyways, if you uh, also National Film Registry has only three movies from 2008. Obviously, The Hurt Locker. That's why I'm bringing it up. The Dark Knight and Wally. And Are you saying like the Congressional Library? They well, they have the National Film Registry where they apparently they pick the move after ten years they can they pick twenty five movies a year to add to it, which they're supposed to preserve the film. Uh, yeah. these are supposed to be important movies, and the Hurt Locker got on there pretty quick. It you know it's barely over ten years old. Hey, I feel like so it's a, uh, and I know we've talked about that before. Like that's a good that's a good period of time to wait. And I feel like that's that's where I get more and more, or or I guess I should say less and less caring about like the Academy Awards because I feel like largely, within a few years, you look back and you're like, what? How did that movie win? Like, was it? It was just because it was like the real hot thing at the moment that didn't carry, like, didn't have lasting value of any kind. Like, I I still think of, I don't know what year this might have, what was it 2012 or 2013 when like something like Argo came out, and I feel like that movie has not had like the lasting impact they would want you to think it did considering people were like, uh, you should boycott the Oscars. They didn't nominate Ben Affleck for best director of the year. And like, I look back and I'm like, that wasn't even the best movie that year. No, and his no. best movie was gone, baby gone. Like, yeah, I was about to say he already made his best movie, but like, or even the town, I think even the town's better than, uh, with Jeremy you know, Renner. Margaret. Yeah. Yeah. That maybe, maybe his, maybe only his second best performance. And that's not even, it's still not even like a top tier performance from that movie. But, like I feel like there's there's a lot of those films that I almost appreciate more when like the the National Film Registry is like we waited ten years and you know what we decided this movie is worth worth keeping like it's not like a we'd rather nominate Pink Flamingos than Argo yeah yeah something like that like, it's like I something uh, I've seen clips popping up of uh, like Juno and like I see that and I feel Ugh. like that movie that movie has like not aged well such at a piece all. of shit like, I I didn't think it was good when it first came out but like. And I'm still like, you're kind of making was... me want to watch it again. Well, I mean, you can watch it to Juno, see that it's terrible, but <laughs> we just we just spent a month covering Wes Anderson. Juno was a movie made by somebody who wishes they were wish- Wes Anderson. I still 100%. like uh, it's and it's one. I can I'm pretty remember. sure it's right, man. Right. So it's the same guy that did Up in the Air and Ghostbusters. Well, I don't think life. I don't think he's like the main problem oh, of like, like what I had a problem with. Diablo it was, Cody. The yeah, lo- it was lo- the script is like the script is awful. Like and the like she pushes it too far in the direction of like, I feel like uh, I, I, can, I can see some Wes Anderson influence, but I always feel more like she was trying to like do like Quentin Tarantino, like with like real rapid, fast paced dialogue. But she's like throws in stuff that I'm like, that's not how human beings talk in the slightest. Like the characters just like walk in and just say things to each other that you're just like, that's no one has ever had that conversation. I'm kind of OK like, with that. I bet I do get the fact that it's like you just basically made up a language like these aren't the way that people talk makes me think of although he does it a lot better aaron sorkin where aaron sorkin the way he writes his character as is as if they've thoughtfully thought out every possible thing before they speak and they speak 100 miles per hour and they all sound like geniuses yeah and sorkin's like i'm not even that smart like i just i just it's just i have enough time to write these characters that speak like that and they don't know they no one speaks this way yeah he's like i just want a mass amount of information in a short amount of time 
and he pulls it off too. That'd be somebody interesting to talk about. Yeah. But yeah, the the Hurt Locker, I think that it does a great job at making some great character moments that, of people that you don't see for very long. Guy Pierce is one of them. He seems like a genuinely nice caring you do get that he's like a good leader without the i mean anthony mackie says he is but i feel like he didn't have to say that and you would know that this is the replacement for this guy that they all like uh and i really i can't remember the actor's name but i really like the guy the ice truck killer from texas christian caramago uh, yeah he's uh he seems like the nicest person in the world like even when he's telling those people that they gotta move and he's like, "Come on, guys! You gotta, that's you gotta that's where I feel here. like, yeah, it's he's a good. I, I like his character where he's supposed to be, like he's the doctor on the base, the, the, like he's a therapist or psychologist, and he's always talking to the the one young guy about like you know the trauma and everything that goes on. Since he blames himself for Guy Pierce's death because he couldn't he couldn't shoot that guy fast enough with the phone, and uh, yeah, he does feel like like he probably has that." mentality of like like i'm a doctor i'm not really like you know i don't kill people i don't i don't i don't do any of that kind of stuff but like yeah when he's like when he goes out in the field with them and he's like trying to interact with the locals while they're like which is i i love the comparison going back and forth between like probably the most horrific thing in the film which is that dead kid with a bomb inside of him that jeremy renner's like losing it and then it just keeps cutting back to that to that guy outside it's like please people just just maybe maybe we just want to move down the street a little bit and like he's trying to be so nice to them like he's trying but then he, he does get to like <laughs> to the end when he starts like he does start like raising his gun towards them being be like no no really like you have to move like i i, oh, I tried so too. hard like, like once they're gone there's one shot yeah. of this like fucking tarp or a bag something or something there, on the yeah. ground just a second you know he's gonna die you know yeah. it's a bomb and the like the one second that they show something like it's an important shot and it has like the sound design in this too, like obviously it won the Academy Award, but just like the explosion from like the point of view of being inside the Humvee. Yeah. Uh, See, really he he gets in that Humvee and is like, because the the kid's like, you don't know what it's like actually being out there, and so he shows up and he's like, well, I'll go out with you and see what it's like and it's like as soon as he gets in that thing you're like well he's dead yeah yeah and then as soon as there's that they, as soon as they pull in and stop and he physically gets out of the humvee and i'm like oh this is when he's gonna die and you're like you're just standing there waiting for it to happen like it's all you're doing because it's just like it's very inevitable like they all get back in the humvee and they're just like surprised. i like how they're like, clearly the saying doctor? like we're just we're just moving rocks he's like get out of here yeah yeah that's that's a that's a great moment i, I do love the uh just that interaction between them and then that just keeps that keeps adding to uh the one guy's mental stress of like now he feels like he's personally responsible for two people having died because yeah he he like challenged the doctor he's basically like, the voice of reason the entire movie he is yeah when especially he, when you get towards the end and like he's Jerry getting Renner's taken like, out are you like, okay and he's yeah. like you motherfucker like yeah. i know you that you saved life. me but you're the person that put yeah. me there yeah that's i i do love that they said i can walk in maybe away. six months six months is pretty good yeah. <laughs> yeah he's like he's like i hate you you're such a terrible person like get away from me and then he's like i love you anthony mackie you're my best friend in the world but seriously i hate you jeremy renner get away from me oh that shot too where he's like he sees the guy on the tracks and he's like should I take care of this? And Jeremy Renner's like, do whatever you yeah, want. It's your decision. <laughs> you One of my favorite scenes, and I wish they had fleshed it out better, was when they find his box of shit under the bed. 
and it's full of like the little trip like mementos from when he defused different bombs and they all like think he's sick in the head from it for he keeping is. these i thought it was it's his trophies not, like kind of i'm not gonna lie i kind of would do the same thing I completely understood it. I was like, it, right, that was a, it. that was a weird moment. I thought that was going to go somewhere different when I was watching it. Like it, like it, it almost feels like it was going to go like kind of a similar thing to like American sniper where he like has that rivalry with the, uh, with that opposing sniper. Like it almost felt like that's where it was like leading to at Or first did you see first out. reforms? Like he's building a bomb or some shit yeah. like that. Well, no, yeah. Like I thought it was going to be like, it feels like it was leading more towards like, like that he was going to keep finding like parts and be like, be like, Oh, this is the guy that's building this bomb. Like, who's this guy that keeps, he's like, he's like the best bomb maker I've seen. Like his, his ones are impossible to, to, you know, take down. Like every time I see one of these, you know, his are the best or something like that, but it's like, right. it never goes in that direction. Yeah. That's like the show I worked on manhunt. It focused on the, the bomber that was at uh, the Olympics in 96. Oh, okay. And the whole, like detective work the book is called lone wolf it's really worth reading yeah about the people that were like studying the type of bombs like they were like almost like a serial killer like we could tell the the person that's making these bombs are all the same bombs and how they're trying to find the guy so i kind of felt the same thing that jeremy renner was because they show him the one time where he's like fiddling with like a little um like Switch. computer chip so like i feel like yeah he's like studying the way that these wires and stuff go. That's what I figured. I mean, it's um, you don't really have to expound on it too much. He's he's clearly no. smart and he's clearly studies it and his brain is always like, you know, there's more to this or like I love that time where he diffuses that one bomb really easily and then he's like, "Oh shit, here's another wire" and he follows it out to like eight more yeah. like cylinders. And and it, it is such a great shot because it just has that like, oh, fuck. But I think he only has to find one thing to diffuse, which he ends up following the wire and, and doing it. Because there's that weird shot of the guy was clearly going to detonate it with a, a battery, like a nine volt battery off the wall. And yeah. um, Jeremy Renner like makes eye contact with this like random dude. And it's like he drops the battery. He's like, I diffused your bomb. And the guy <laughs> walks away. Yeah. And he just drops the battery by the kid. So, you know, that he was going to end up blowing him up. I don't know why they don't detonate things faster. Like everybody watches him, watches him like fuck around near the bomb so long. I think the interesting thing with Renner's character is he's clearly like that maverick renegade badass kind of character, but like instead of doing him Hollywood style, it's like what would this what would one of those be like if they were like a real person? And yeah, how I mean he's not even would he's you not react the most likable character, clearly. No, he's he's awful because like he like I mean when he goes in to go get him the first time they meet and he's just like blasting death metal and he's just standing That's how you do he's a like, terrible person. <laughs> Alright, like let's go. Well, it's just like, it's like he's clearly very obnoxious and you're not sure how you're going to be able to communicate with he this doesn't person seem who's to put supposed to be other people in danger too often. No, he, he doesn't put at himself all. And he, he does. He does, though. He does. He's yeah. like, let's go get this guy when that's clearly not what these people do. And he has a breakdown in the film and then endangers them for sure. And that's yeah, why yeah, he gets he's, shot. He endangers people very uh, slightly, but it, it does happen. 
But most of the time, like, I love that the second bomb that he defuses in the car and he goes back and he starts taking off the suit because he's like, they're like, why are you taking it off? He's like, listen, that explosion is so, going to be so huge that there's no way I'm surviving it yeah. in a suit. I'm going to be <laughs> I'm going to be comfortable. But yeah, like when they're watching everybody in that exact moment where he's tearing through the car trying to defuse the thing, you know, there's the guy on the camera and there's all these people watching. So, you know, the person that's going to detonate it is watching and you just think it seems like it takes him at least five, seven minutes or something to do this car. You think somebody watching would just be like, fuck it. We're just setting it off and taking this guy out. I really like the first bomb when he's following the cord and he gets that little like junction and he yanks on it and he very slowly pulls like nine bombs out of the sand all around him in a circle. And he's like, Oh man, (laughs) that was really good. That's a well done scene, but he's like very calm through everything. I think the reason he has the breakdown with the kid is because the kid part throws him off and then it messes with his game because he's pretty much when it comes to bombs, he knows exactly what he's doing. But when it comes to like individuals, when it comes or, to kids, he doesn't understand. Yeah. Like, well, he has a kid and he doesn't know how to deal with his own kid. And he doesn't really know like, how <laughs> like to deal his, with love his story with his kid where he's talking to this kid. He's like, by my age, you only love two things, which clearly is not his kid. He's just like, he just goes back to the war. He's just like, <laughs> Right. I mean, that's what I'm picking up from it. It's just like, of the two things you love, not that kid. Maybe it's not really funny. It's just, uh, well, it doesn't it's seem more to sad than it is funny, either. but it, it is kind of funny, too. I think you could have ended the film without the kid and the wife and literally just done it with Jeremy Renner standing in the grocery store and being confused about buying cereal and then just being like, fuck this and he just immediately no you had to to see that he had a chance with that family and he just said no Uh, you had to see that you had to see the star he's a bad person you have to see that he's a bad family she may as well be a fucking ghost she has no emotion she has like one line if that it's it's like three words it's like just help me find cereal she's like letting him see the kid but there's no uh, i didn't feel like there was a relationship there anymore I I also think though, like how many bombs get diffused in this movie, and every one of them has a different type of tension to it. It doesn't feel like it's the same thing, repetitive. And I like I do I like the first time that they put the suit on 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 Guy Pierce because they have, have that little wagon on the robot, and then the wheel falls off, and they're like, oh shit, yeah. we're gonna have to suit up to fix this thing. And it's funny, well ironic i guess is that they the suits normally to help you defuse these other people's bombs but he needed it because the uh the 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 c4 that was all packed up in that that wagon could have gone off it like like his like their own shit was just as dangerous as that bomb love it i thought his death seemed a bit silly the first guys because like I know about those suits pretty well, and the helmets are almost impossible to penetrate. I've watched bomb disposal people in those suits have the bomb go off like right in their face. It'll blow your hands off because your hands are exposed. Like that's the risk of it. Is like you could probably lose your. I hands, mean, you don't really like, know. He could have been the impact. He could have like broke his neck when he fell or something. I, just, I mean, blood. Sp- 
splatters through yeah. the, the glass of the helmet. So I was like, his like head caved in or something. I don't know what. I know maybe, maybe they are, didn't put his suit on right. There are shock waves and stuff, but I, I don't know. I thought his death was a little weird. And but I, I Will James or whatever Renner, he had a different suit. Yeah, a magic suit that was. You know, he had the better one. Heroes. They gave Guy he Pierce the, the cheap He did have a better one because Guy Pierce had just like ski goggles on his mask. It was just like a glorified uh, ski helmet, I guess, for him. Renner had the football helmet. I mean, they do comment like uh, they when he asks about like, did you build that cart? And he's like, no, sir, that came from the United States government or something like that. So it's like, yeah, maybe it's like maybe they just gave him like a cheap suit and then they were like, well, maybe get the next guy a better suit. Then he, then he won't die. Yeah, I mean, and he's off the rails too. like that very first one where he's like throwing his like uh, smoke bombs and Anthony Mackie's like, what the fuck are you doing? I can't see. I can't see you. And he's like, I'm causing I'm, I'm making a distraction. Makes me think of something more from like a Call of Duty game, like, like Chuck, what are you doing? I'm just making a distraction from who? Like, what are you doing? What is this? Throw, yeah, throwing flashbang. Oh, just flash myself. <laughs> I looked right at it. Oh yeah, I, I, I do love that. I, I, I love the way that the bomb diffuser is treated when they show up with Renner with the very first bomb that he's to to defuse, and the scenes real ominous. Like, there's a abandoned Hummer. And they're like, where is everybody? Mm-hmm. And you get that little American flag waving. And I almost felt like it was a trap. But Renner walks up to them and it's like this entire troop. It's like 12 people. And they're like hiding in this little nook like the bomb's up there. <laughs> and he's like, all right, I'll take care of it. The bomb's real. I, I believe you. I'm going to <laughs> I'm gonna go defuse it. Don't worry about it. Oh, uh, yeah. So I have some questions I'd like to ask. You're allowed. Um, I am. I know. Hopefully you get the answers uh, you want. <laughs> so you've watched all of her movies. Am I correct? Uh, I didn't watch her last two. I, I've seen Zero Dark 30 before, and I have not watched Detroit ever. That'll be a first. Uh, so she's got 10 films, about a 40-year career, correct? Mm-hmm. Female director. How many of her films passed the Bechtel test? Because nothing I watched this month did. Probably Blue Steel. Definitely The Weight of Water. And <laughs> that might be pretty much it. How many of her films? I mean, star... there might be more women women to women, but there's they're definitely not the majority of the films. How many of her films star women in like a positive role? I, I feel like when she has women, they're they are positive. I do feel like they're all positive. If you think of them as like, if you think of like more so the protagonist, Blue Steel, which is not a great movie, they definitely have Jamie Lee Curtis. That's like, you know, I've achieved this goal of being a cop that I've always wanted to be, and I'm strong and I can defend myself, and I don't need other people to tell me what I can and can't do. So it does have that that kind of attitude there, and I felt strange, uh, strange days with um, uh, is Angela Bassett. Yeah, I that's the she, only one I could figure would pass Bechdel. I, I thought that, that she was a. I thought she was a really strong character in that too. Uh, I mean, I, I even th- think Juliet Lewis was a strong character in it. She wasn't the most likable, but she was doing what she w- wanted to do without any real problems i mean 
she's kind of a femme fatale in that movie too. But Bassett, I thought was 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 great. Weight of Water is probably the the heaviest female cast. You got a female killer. You the the protagonist is also female and the villain kind of too because she hates uh she hates elizabeth hurley's character who she definitely just sees as somebody that's trying to seduce her husband and she's definitely wishing like death upon her yeah i think all the women that she does capture like even the killer in that who's played by sarah polly is these are strong characters and they shouldn't be overlooked i think that's the that's like the the main theme so when you have somebody like bigelow that's mostly following male protagonists yeah i guess that's the that's the big question like what is she doing differently like obviously you have that that male perspective of of like the war like k19 and this where it's just men but it's it's men through her eyes and how she sees them because i didn't watch all of her movies i wanted to ask you that question before I make my statements, but you stated early, like, like with near dark that she makes films that are like male oriented films, but through like the female gaze, I don't agree with that. She makes male films through the male gaze. She doesn't make them through the female gaze, but how could she make them through the male gaze? She's not male. Right. So that that's the question that I'm left with, but she seems to make films for men and they seem to be seeking male approval in my eyes more so like possibly the fact that she's the first female director to win an academy award for this film for the film that she won for if you asked anybody on the street who directed hurt locker unless they're familiar with her they'll immediately tell you a man did it i'm not knocking her as a director and i'm not knocking her film style she's an excellent director she's an excellent what have you but it's not a knock she she blends in she does i think she's not an ally uh she lacks a directorial voice of her own because she doesn't really like fit with any one particular genre she's very competent at taking on things and what have you like i'm not questioning her filmmaking i'm questioning her position as a woman and i know that's a difficult question to I have mean, especially like, i mean i guess it it's it kind of carries on in so many different aspects because you have so many movies that are written by men that are follow female protagonists and they're not always offensive you know what i mean like it's not always written in a way that it's like they're trying well, to be a seductress or so you know what i mean it's not a male fantasy sometimes She's married to James Cameron. What? James Cameron, James Cameron's films all pass the Bechtel test. Hers don't. How is she's it that also James not Cameron these? But like he's over here doing these like films with these like I mean James Cameron has created the strongest and best examples of female action <laughs> I'm star quote protagonists. Scream three. In films. It sounds like you have a hard on for Cameron. I mean, Scream two. I think I said three yeah. too. When it when it comes to presenting women in action roles, James Cameron, I mean, Linda Hamilton is one of the greatest action female roles. Uh, Ripley is one of the greatest act- female action roles, period. Like, they're defining in that sort of thing. And as a competent female action director, why is this person not including, like, why is none of your films, like, it's not hard for your films to pass the Bechdel test. 
it's not hard. All you have to have is like some women in the background or like two female characters who have an engagement. Like we're talking about the Iraqi Maybe war in 2000. Why? Maybe the story that she wants to tell doesn't have a lot of them. They can be in the background. Like, that's the thing. It's like when you're talking about a war movie, like they can be in the background picking up some boxes or something like there are. No that seems more offensive. Women. No, it's not like I'm saying like, Justin, women... there's no women in this movie that you made. I'm like, they're in the background cleaning up shit like <laughs> women. Women exist in the world. And <laughs> as a director, laundry and shit, you know, like... but no, it, it's not about that. It, it's that if any director in the world uh, knows that women exist and therefore they should have them in the background of their films, it's 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 about. I mean, there are women Inclusion. in the Hurt Locker. They're Iraqi women, and they're treated like how Iraqi women are. I don't, you don't the, see very this, many faces, or the one face you do see is the lady that comes out I'm in not, the wagon. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about within the war camp, like the American camp. We had more female um, veterans fighting in the Iraqi war than we ever did in any war. They could have been there. They could have been part of it. And I'm like, as a woman, you think that she would intentionally make sure women exist in her films. It doesn't have to be about women. It's not about that. The films don't have to be female oriented films. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not sitting here going as a woman director. You have to make woman director films. But at this juncture, straight up, are you familiar with the term pick me? Because that's where I'm left with at her. I'm like, you're a pick me. You don't make like you make films because you want men to like your movies. So you don't do things in your movies to make them feel more inclusive I mean, so that you will gain a larger male audience with your films. I understand that a lot of these films it, have It's male. possible that she, she has that, that idea of like, she wants to be one of the boys, but maybe she has the, maybe it's not about accepting people's approval. Maybe it's more of a tomboy perspective. Maybe, the films that she's grown up with or her favorite films is kind of what she's homaging and going back to. But, but I can tell you that, okay, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm not saying that you're wrong. No, but, I, but like when you're, when you're someone who like, you can do what you want. I'm not going to sit here and tell people they can and cannot do that. You want, I want you to understand that I'm not dictating and I'm not saying fuck her. She, you know, whatever like you're free to do what you want in a society where discrimination exists so heavily and we're working so hard to make changes when you're a woman and you've been granted a position of great power understand where she is and who she is like we're not talking about like neil blomkamp here who's like only been around for 10 years and made three movies like we're talking a 40-year veteran of the industry who won an Academy Award and is the first woman director to win this award. Whether you want to or not, you now have an obligation to start creating content to be more inclusive. And if you choose to go down a road where you never create inclusive content, you're just kind of... A Republican woman at that point in my eyes, like you're well, just like her next movie that agenda. she's working on now that hasn't come out. It's based on a book with a woman protagonist. Okay, it follows her and around, I, but I mean, I, I don't really, I I don't know. Like I I think of like the types of stories that that you want to tell that like fit into the times. Like I'm not saying that 
it's I I don't know. It it may not be as methodical as you think. It could be. It could be. But I I think that she's at that point where I, like I don't think she made the Hurt Locker because she thought she was gonna win Academy Award. Like I I definitely don't think that her idea was that this was gonna get pushed and this was gonna be something that was gonna be uh, like an award winner. Uh, I don't think any of her movies that she makes she has that thought process because going back to like her being genreless she's very clearly like it's i want to make a horror movie i want to make this movie i want to make that movie yeah at the end of the day she's just making action movies and different like whatever like near dark's a horror action movie like i mean i got two more to go but i definitely feel like she does have a very similar direction between all these films it just doesn't stand out something like I mean, maybe not a great example, but like Wes Anderson, like you see that, you know that it's Wes Anderson. Um, like I know, I know that Sophie Coppola is a Coppola, but like, and I don't, I'm not really a fan of her films, and I understand that a lot of her films have more of female tones. Yeah, Catherine but Bigelow like, did not want to make the Bling Ring. No, but like Catherine Bigelow could have made Atomic Blonde. You know what I'm saying? Like. She could have, she could have done that in the '90s. She could have like been like gender defining with action as well. She could have also brought us a Linda Hamilton and something else, because like I mean, she had that power to make an action film and have it star whatever. And I mean, even it's like, not like Jane Champion's Power of the Dog, and she won an Academy Award for Best Director. There's like no women in that movie either. And I, I mean, the piano that so, she was up for was it followed female protagonists around. So maybe it has less to do with their choices and more to do with, you know, who's voting for these movies and who's nominating well, them. Well, I understand that you're all male and even even I started my life as male. At the end of the day, you have to understand to some degree, and I've been left with the impression working with you guys that you're educated and well-rounded individuals who just Chuck, are paying attention I, I to the not. world. Chuck, Chuck always surprised me, <laughs> genuinely. And I was, I, I know, like he more doesn't thoughts. seem smart, but they, <laughs> you look at him and he is actually is. Chuck is, Chuck is shockingly smart. Um, <laughs> but like, no, like you have to see that the films that are winning in that regard, even though they're directed by women, they're not, they're not stories for women and they're not, that's and even lifetime. though a woman's directing them, well, but that's, that's just ignorant right there. <laughs> no, no, that's just... their slogan. That's their slogan. <laughs> but it's stories yeah, it for is. women. Yeah, and you're, it's like, you're right. They're just I'm getting sorry. like, <laughs> I don't know. They're getting like raped and stuff like that. Like what? That is yeah. not, I don't, think that's the stories for women uh, well and I, I mean that's a good one too like why is it like i like i praise the film underwater all the time with um god what's kristen stewart kristen stewart was amazing in that film because she played a male action role as a woman and that was really interesting to see that because it was the first time i've seen a female action star where they did not try to squeeze the matriarch into any of it. She was just a person whose life kind of sucked and she went here 
And now she's about to blow up Cthulhu and like save the world and fucking whatever. And I was like, she played and handled this exactly the way that a typical male action star would have handled the role. And I was extremely impressed with that. So like from Bigelow's standpoint, for me to feel like at this juncture after studying her and studying her films, and this is a personal opinion for me to gain actual respect for her as a female director, I need her to make a female oriented, perhaps action film, something that's in her wheelhouse anyway, where the female drives the film and doesn't have a maternal side story. There's no kids. There's no any of that connection and give me a proper solid action film that's just fueled by a woman she's not interested in them yeah i mean i i I guess from the perspective of i i don't think that she's doing anything to to be like one of the guys if that's how certainly not 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 doing anything to be one of the guys because she's not creating anything for women but that's kind of where I disagree because, like, by default, she has to be. She is a woman. It's just because, just because you. Well, that goes back to my statement. Are you familiar with the term "pick me"? Do you know what that means? I said no, but you did <laughs> describe it, and I. I did. You you did you did describe what it was. I definitely. I I don't. When I look at a movie, I don't think I did. They do representation well. Is important. It absolutely is. But maybe, in, like... In my eyes, all she's missing is a Fox Racing shirt and a white blonde streak in her hair and a pickup truck that says, Girls Ride Them Too. Like, I don't get the vibe that's that where she's, she's that type of person, but she's not... She's definitely not a, you know, girl power girl. But she's in a position... See, and that's... that's I, like. Well, it's going like... Going back to... You can do what you want. But I still feel like at the end of the day, as a woman and as the women around me have also stated, like there's kind of an agreeance amongst the women around me. I'm not going to bring every woman into it, but like we all kind of got the same kind of vibe and feeling from these things. And, and you know, I think that, you know, but what if she didn't win uh, best director because she's a woman? What if she won because people liked her movie? I mean that's how it just that's to throw out be. just you know devil's but advocate that, a little bit there. But in that in that case, then more women would win Academy Awards in general because women have been making films for years and they've been making good movies that people love that are worthy of Academy Awards typically, but they don't really get a lot of acknowledgement. Or I mean, Sophie Coppola, I thought she won awards, didn't she win something? I thought she. I think won she might have won best screenplay at some point. Yeah, for that um one with uh, Bill Murray yeah, because that one was all over the place. I feel like she probably at least won for that. Lost in Translation. Yeah. I feel like it's... See, I hated uh, that movie. I feel like it's the same and I do... I feel like there might be somewhere for her where she does have that thought process of like it is one of those like what's, what's going to be considered the biggest audience is like and you know the whatever their their marketing research will say like males aged 18 to 35 or something so i i think that might be somewhere it might not be specifically from her because again like well kind of like justin said like she's not writing these movies she works with the that the one writer mark bowl like he's done her last three movies 
So I don't know if it's one where it's like she's going to him and he's obviously writing from a man's perspective. So he's writing these stories and then she's just like, okay, yeah, let's film it. And then she's just going with his ideas and then she's just putting them on film. And it is one where it's going to reach the wider audience. And I feel like a, like a almost a comparison I'd put with like, uh, maybe it's she's too, she might be too nervous about like being labeled as, like there's been a lot of female directors that do that work with films, you know, mainly dealing with females. And then you kind of get type as like, Oh, she just makes women's movies. And I feel like that's something where uh, like a director, like Tyler Perry, like he's pretty much labeled as like, <laughs> as like, Oh, he just makes black movies. Like, and there's a lot of people that would look at him and, and say like, Oh, his movies aren't worth watching. Like he just makes, he just makes movies. Like he just makes those type of movies, but it's like, but there's a lot of people that love his movies and I feel like she maybe there is somewhere inside her where she has that thought of like if she starts making movies like that, that it'll just be like that she's just going to be labeled as like, oh, she's just yeah, she's just a female director. She just does like female movies or something. And it's like they don't get pushed because there is uh, I think it comes from the studio that she's working for that they're probably going to come along and say like they might say that like well, who's the who's the main character like oh well i don't know we were thinking and like that is the studio being like oh, jeremy renner he'd be great and then it's just like she's not pushing further to be like any other actors or any more diverse cast it's just like they're just pushing that on her and she's just going along with it or something like that like i, I don't know but, for sure but but that just goes back to being a pick me but what about this just... what what about uh tarantino he writes all these women characters It'd be weird to be like, well, Terribly. why don't you stick to your? <laughs> Does he? They seem to yeah. love his movies. Women like seeing like if I wrote women if I, put if, into action roles like like if I wrote a bunch of of action movies that were all women, and people were would get mad like your guy, you shouldn't be writing for women. You should be writing for men. I can write for whoever I want. I could I could I could tell Absolutely. any type of story that I want to tell. That's not. That's not the 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 question I'm asking here, though. So, like, I'm not I'm not questioning someone's personal ability to make their own choices and and do what they want and live their life how they want. Please do. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I I'm don't saying think she hates that, women. I mean, I'm not picking that up. I, I think like Chuck actually was nailing it pretty well there. With like, there's a lot of just like, okay, I'll do what the studio wants because I want a career more than I want to worry about my gender and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you're established at this point. You're no one's going to question. Is like she? No one's going to, I think she is. I mean, after, I mean she's, maybe after the hurt locker, but before that, I don't know, man, she has, she's cause when this came out, made, people were like, this is the same director as point break. Like she, her she's name made some of the most prolific films like ever though yeah but her name's not stamped on the things as like a selling point i i, I guarantee fair. you if you ask somebody who made point break they can't tell you i mean a film they think it's a man buff probably could <laughs> they're gonna tell you it was a man Every well i mean if you ask if you say do you, did a man or a woman make point break they're probably gonna say a woman because why are you asking that question no, just in general, like I, I, I guarantee you, you go up to a kid in the street to say, "Did a woman make like Point Break?" and they'd probably be like, "No, a man did that." If, if you went up to a kid, it. they would say, "What's Point Break?" That's, that's why I said if they're, <laughs> I said if they're familiar with it, come on now. They talk about but like, 
Yeah, they 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 don't even know the Keanu Reeves one. They only know the remake. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god, that's terrible. Uh, but that's like true. Only, that's like only knowing the remake of uh, Total Recall. Just just terrible. I mean, I guess I can tr- uh, see if she's been asked anything similar to this and what she says because I can't defend her choices. I'm not her. I think no. the things that you brought you bring up are are actually part of the reasons why I picked her. She doesn't have a strong feminist voice, but she is female and she is in control of these movies. So that is part of the conversation as to what I thought we were going to get into when we are talking about her is <laughs> what kind of things are we getting? I do think she has a style, but it's overlooked when you don't really get a full grasp of of the types of movies that she's making. I would have never thought she had a style. And I know that's one thing I definitely garnered from this month is like, without a doubt, I fully believe that she's one of the most competent action scene directors I've ever seen. And that she understands um, how to bring the audience into the action and make them feel the stress and the tension of the scenes. Like all of her movies, like where she uses so much of like the, the steady cams and all that kind of stuff. Like they all have this very like personal tight quality to them. And they all kind of are very, even like the ones that aren't, they still have a very grounded in reality quality to them. Like even though near dark is a vampire movie, it still like has more of a grounded in reality quality to it. And the stranger days is a cyberpunk film, but it feels like, it could be today. It feels like it could be the year 2022 with the way that she visually shoots it and films it. It doesn't go the future and it's all like crazy or whatever. Like it's all very like realistic towards that kind of thing. So I feel like even when she does go into different categories, she still finds a way to keep everything kind of just like kept and grounded. Her films have very muted color tones. She has very lacking color in all of her movies. Like, there's like a very like dry, almost like everything's washed out and everything that she does. And even when the films have color, she never accentuates the color. Yeah. The heart locker. Do you like the color of sand? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a very orange movie. Like their uniforms are orange. Everything's orange. Like it is what it is. And I think in that regard, it's her most colorful film. But that's when he's only in the supermarket because... with the cereal. <laughs> but just like because of that setting, it's just a very bright color. So the whole movie is that color. It just works out that way, like very blue skies and very like orange backgrounds. But she orange doesn't explosions where it's like, OK, like, let's go back to like um, the helicopter one that we were just talking about. Ridley Scott shoots that and tries to like pull those colors. He like pushes all the contrasts really hard. So everything has like these like weird washed out tones while also having these like heavy, hard darks and like heavy, hard like colorations Whereas she just filmed the way it looked. Like, I don't feel like she goes to a setting and goes like, this is good. Let's amp up these aspects of it or any of that. She just kind of looks at the setting and goes like, okay, she does a lot of interesting here. things with color in strange days, but I, I feel like whenever she's doing something like this, where it's supposed to have like the documentary, very realistic type feel, she she wants it to have that realism, so she keeps it that way. She you know she keeps it very natural. 
we're we're gonna get into it with uh, the next film, but she shoots that one in this very like tight way as well, and in that same kind of style. And like I feel like when I went into that film after watching Hurt Locker and and Near Dark and like discussing these things with you or whatever. That was the first time I felt like I was able to define her style. And I was like, okay, so like her thing is these really tight, like, like feels like a film crew, like following you around, like, like documentary style thing. Like that's what she does really well. I definitely think from the last couple movies, I I definitely think that she picked that up more from K-19. I don't, I, I mean, there's not a lot of lot she can do inside that submarine. Like it's these pretty close quarters, and uh, it feels it everything feels really tight. Yeah, going from Hurt Locker to Zero Dark Thirty, I mean, Zero Dark Thirty doesn't feel as tense throughout the whole movie. It definitely has that documentary cinematography type feel where yeah, it's like it it feels like somebody's just documenting what's going on, which well, it's. It's nice that she's able to bring you into the action without doing that shit that like they started doing in like the 2000s where the camera is like like shaking around that fucking which really Michael Bay started all that shit with the rock like that fucking whole movie is just nothing but a shaky camera like nonstop. So it's just I, I, that's some of the worst way to shoot an action film are those shaky cam like pretending like the camera is like bouncing all over the place and shit. Like nobody wants that. People want to focus on the action and like, she's capable of bringing the bounce and shake of a camera or all those born that, like, sequels. They're all like, that's what I was going to say, but I didn't want to go. But yeah, like the, that, that, like, those born didn't movies, have a steady cam. What if we just yeah. ran with the camera done? Well, and it's supposed to like resemble the hit like the camera is supposed to act like like the feeling of the hit and what it doesn't work it doesn't work in anything what people want and why the 80s have some of the best action movies is they want a fucking camera here here and here so we can get it from every angle and then we just want to be able to watch two guys go at it like nobody wants like a jackie chan movie with like 16 different cameras chasing him around over his shoulder like bouncing the fuck around Uh, we want to watch the band act (laughs) nah you don't you know you don't yeah sign me up police story let's let's imagine how bad that would be if they use that type of filming style on police story police story is like camera work is fucking amazing i think uh, the style has to match the kind of story that you you want to tell and right would this have worked if all the camera was, you know, very stiff or on dollies, I'm sure it would, but it wouldn't help the tension. I I think that it, it really helps the tension kind of feeling like that raw, gritty feel during this entire movie of jumping from people's perspectives or feeling like you're right over somebody's shoulder. Because it feels like danger is around every corner of this entire movie. They're not even a, like even when they're in their their uh, bunker, they're talking about mortars going off and how unsafe it is and jeremy like, I, like the like, air. I don't give a <laughs> fuck and he like rips the plywood down <laughs> like i like the sunlight i mean it's just short of having anthony mackie being like this boy is crazy and he you know he doesn't obviously i uh i, I think of everything that i've seen so this is minus detroit i definitely think this is her strongest movie and it doesn't feel I'd like agree it with was, that. it doesn't feel like it's the same director that did K nineteen. 
K nineteen compared to this was like See, I don't know what she what went wrong. Like I didn't realize that was her. And you like when you when you threw that at me, I'm like, oh, that's her. I'm like, that's one of my favorite movies to rip on. Like I go on and on about that movie all the time. I Whenever I like, didn't I go, even <sighs> think it was her either. Honestly, I. I remember it as being the Harrison Ford movie with the bad accent. I, I don't even remember what happened in the movie. And then I just rewatched it, and now I'm probably going to forget what happened within a week. I'm not going to remember this movie at all. That's AKA, what I call not, bad used cars. Not memorable, them but K-19s. like the Hurt Locker. There's a lot that I remember from the Hurt Locker that has stuck with me. Uh, I think the thing that sticks with me the most, it's not even the defusing of the bombs. It's literally the cut of him talking to his kid and then getting off the the uh, helicopter and going back into war with a new company. That that sticks I, with me the most. I don't think that the it had to have the card in the beginning that was like war is a drug. Um, yeah, it could have dropped that and been just fine. But I mean, the movie did a great job throughout being like this guy is uh, there's something wrong with this guy. And he's getting off on the things that he's doing. I feel like I know Jeremy Renner's character. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? I I'm think like, you should. Though. Went, Don't you feel I'm like, like you, I went to high school with this guy? <laughs> like he's real. He was a very real like character in, in that regard. Like I think that's the I first. I mean, you time might have I've people seen... that are like you know people sign up because. They they enlist because they don't have anything else going on. They don't care what happens yeah. to them. For sure. I'd agree with you that this is probably one of her more memorable ones because I just watched Detroit and we still have to talk about it and I don't, don't really talk remember about it. it don't tell me well. anything about it. But like I just don't I don't really remember it. Like well, as first being of all, it's called Detroit. So it's like the most forgettable title of all time. I mean, Robocop lives in Detroit. Yeah, but the movie wasn't called Detroit. It's called RoboCop, so you remember that. Yeah, because it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, Catherine, Bigel <laughs> Catherine Bigelow, the movies that I think of, Near Dark, Point Break, Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty. That's about it. Yeah, I think like the first time I heard of this this director and really like had her out there, like I said, like was this movie and then Zero Dark Thirty, and I was like, huh, how interesting that there's a woman winning all kinds of awards and she's making these like and zero to very male centric has a female films. protagonist does it i have like i didn't even watch that. i'm not I, I, not yes, only did Chastain's i not watch that the one main character in it and she's the one that's taken out planning the. i'm not going to watch it like unless you guys like make me watch it on this podcast i will not watch that movie like i'm just not uh, i just don't care don't tell us movies you hate because we will make you watch them I mean, there will that's be fair. choices down the road. I'm just saying, like, I, it's not just that I, I, I just don't like that stuff. Like, it's just not interesting. And like, I didn't like the way America was act acting at that time. So, I don't really like a lot of those movies from that time because, in my eyes, a lot of them have in my, like yeah, propaganda uh, kind of feels. And I know that not all of them do. I might you pick movies that pool, are but... bad just because I think there's a good discussion there. I agree with that. Uh, the Hurt Locker, though, is something that I, I felt like it definitely is a product of the time, but done well. Why is it done well? Because it has a different side of, of uh, a problem with war. It's not... 
It's not PTSD. It's not some made-up patriotism. It's literally, like, a mental health issue of, like, this disregard for life and this and the thrill of uh, being in danger and can I get through this scenario. And well, I can't really think of another war film that focuses on a character like that. I can think of characters in war films, but they're not usually the protagonist that is this character. When you got three dudes, and the three dudes had a very cohesive relationship with their leader who got killed, and now you have Jeremy Renner coming in here, and he's not properly communicating with his unit, and he's not properly handling things by protocol that they're used to, and they're very competent at their job, and they want to be competent with him, and he's not really giving them the tools to do that. But like as they work with him, they start to see his competence and his abilities. So I mean, they at start one to point, trust Anthony Mackie, he plays around with the idea of of just blowing him up. He's just like, you know, we'd solve a lot of problems right now if I set off this detonation. And honestly, yeah. it would probably help fix a lot of things because there'd be procedures about how not to repeat this. And Eldridge is like looking at him like, are you are you talking about murder? Yeah, it's a great moment. It really is. Yeah. But like, then there's that scene, like you said, when they're dealing with the sniper and it's like, Renner kept the entire group together on all sides. Like, if he wasn't there, that would have all fallen apart. Except so, Eldritch's like, side. He's like, do what you want. Right. If you think and he has a, a weird out there, you get him. He has this weird way of handling things where, like, he makes you make your own choice while also kind of telling you, like, what the right choice is. But he doesn't want to be responsible for telling you because he wants you to be able to figure shit out on your own. So I just kind of like a good movie should be, though. I mean, yeah. I know you're talking about the character, but a good movie should be like you figure it out on your own. All right. You smart. You like can that, do it. Like when he shoots the the insurgent who shows up behind them when they were trying to snipe. And then he's like, I don't know. Do you think you should shoot him? <laughs> he's he's like, also like, a I don't know. He has like eyes in the back of his head. He's like, I knew you could do it. How do you know that yeah. he did it? He, you don't know if he shot anybody. Right. I don't know. I just like, there's a guy 20 meters to the right. There's that guy just like laying out in the desert. And uh, Anthony Mackie misses. He starts running. He's like, you can get him, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, I got him. Um, And it's so, it's so like that scene too with Ray Font where they like come up to the truck and they're like, oh shit, they're like undercover Americans. He's like an insane character too. I, I just love that his uh he keeps calling them the packages his two his two prisoners that he has uh they get like, you know they get they didn't ambushed. have to be alive they they get ambushed <laughs> and they just take off running in the desert and he does that like totally he risks his life too he just goes out there like I'm not losing my payday and then uh poor guy gets shot and he's like they don't even like really look at him they're like uh he's dead yeah. <laughs> this guy's totally dead right here. But yeah, if you haven't seen it, maybe because you were lived by me and Chuck in 2009 and Hollywood Video <laughs> only had one copy of the movie and you didn't get to see it, seek it out. I think you said it was on Netflix, not on this yeah. podcast, but off the podcast. You said it was Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix. That's where I watched it. 
I think it's like still on there. They're not gonna take it off anytime soon. So oh, they might take it off soon. Yeah, you never fucking know. They take stuff off. You can't find you any of her other time. movies anywhere. I what was that? One, two, three movies. Is that what you sent me to? <laughs> That's what I had near dark. Just be careful because it's probably people just trying to steal your information. Like <laughs> right. Like it's just this. I mean, you can still watch the movie, but who knows what you're how you're paying for it. Right. Uh, how old were you guys when you worked at Hollywood Video? Was it Hollywood? I mean, 20s. Yeah, would have been 19. Jesus. You guys make me feel so old. <laughs> you are old. You're the old yeah. one. I am. I turned 40. I'm 40 now. I think, am I the oldest person on the show? Uh, you're not. No, actually, um, one of our first hosts, uh, he, he's, uh, 10 years older than me so if he was still on he'd be old he he was older than you when he started there you go we called him the old man because of how old he was we're not ageist we're just very realistic just true it's just an honest observation but yeah this is definitely one of the movies that i think is think is really well done and it's partially why i picked this director was because of this movie see it that's all I got to say. I said everything else that I think I need to say until later tonight where I'm like, fuck, why didn't I say that? I will try I, uh, to see if I can get her being questioned about those types of choices as why she doesn't have more female heavy movies. We'll see. See what I can have find. them in the fucking background or something. At least let your films pass the Bechdel test. We got to watch test. Zero Dark Thirty there. Does that pass the Bechdel test? I, I mean, if your main character is a female and everyone else is male, then no. Yeah, they have to be two women who have a conversation about anything that isn't men or the main male character. Yeah, if that's all I don't they think talk it about, or men, because or... she she just the whole movie is like we got to kill Ben Laden. It's all about Ben <laughs> <Right>. Laden. <laughs> right. It's all about I'm, killing I'm that very, Ben Laden guy. I'm very pleased that the conversation went as well as it did. I think everybody had an intelligent conversation there i tried to have this conversation with some male friends of mine a couple days before this and i don't want to talk to them anymore because <laughs> like they basically got a bunch of like woke cancel culture kind of comments from them and at least you guys are able to give me intelligent answers with it at the end of the day i personally find it hard to respect this director on that regard she's a competent filmmaker i think you should watch her movies if you really want to see some really good action movies i would never deter people from her but i'm telling you on my own personal level i would like to see more female inclusion from this director and i'd like to see more films with like main female protagonists from this director that are not typical because even the one that you talk about it sounds like it's a pretty typical like female kind of film no i mean I, I, zero dark 30 is, is exactly what you like with no, like no. linda I, hamilton in in terminator it's this woman that is doing what the men can do and she's doing it better than they can do linda, linda hamilton is the best female action star hands down like she blows she blows ripley out the water all day but these are she's these, so fucking good they're women that are doing what men do right i think what I'd like to see, here's here's what here's my dream film. I want to see Catherine Bigelow direct like a hard action film 
and cast Kristen Stewart as the lead. That's what I want. It, it, just for the record there, I, I was just playing. That was a very sexist comment. You're just like, right, right. Um, no, you write, char- you write characters as people, <laughs> you know? You you have to fl- you have to make flesh people out and make them seem real and real people are complex and I think that's kind of what you have to fake on screen because you don't have a lot of time to do it so you got to make it seem like these are real people with real issues and you know real life gets complicated just write people as people they're people you know doesn't matter I mean write what you know and I think that's why we're getting a lot of these war movies because of you know what chuck said earlier she's she's like bonded with this mark pole guy and he's writing what he knows and she's connecting to it i chuck you can probably answer this question he this will is the same guy it. who wrote detroit am i correct yeah, in that yeah. is this a white guy uh i mean i assume his name's okay. mark <laughs> well that's not I knew a black guy named Mark, actually. So, so did we. we I worked with one in Hollywood video. So, uh, but uh, I asked that because I, well, we're going to get into He's it, very white. Have, okay. So uh, I was about to say I have a lot thing. to say no, you're about do, you're, to yeah, try. You're doing the same thing. <laughs> so, all right, then we'll get into it. <laughs> gonna leave it at that oh he's quite white (laughs) (laughs) if if, it looks like he's uh if the police asked you to describe the guy and he just said he's white (laughs) they would draw draw him perfectly he looks like a character from it's always sunny (laughs) he he does look like he'd be in the cast he's like the (laughs) mixture of all the characters together into one person yeah exactly yeah Yeah, all right. Well, our last movie, which was picked by Chuck, is Detroit, and we'll be talking about that next week. And I will be watching it very soon. Uh, unfortunately... Yeah, you better get on that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll be good. It'll be another hard-to-find movie to watch by the time the episode airs. Jeez. Uh, it is currently streaming the next couple days for us. We're recording this pretty early, so it. who knows where it's going to be by the time the episode comes out. But always, thank you for listening. Tune back in. One more Bigelow movie. And then we're, you know, we're getting into October-ish. So we're going to go into uh, horror again. So stay tuned. Bye, everyone. Bye. We are Cinema Demore. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening.